You're about to listen to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast Season 2, Episode 16. My guest today is Matt Pizicki, author of a new adventure and fantasy book entitled Forming the Javelin. For this podcast, the book story is not the full story. The full story lies with the author, Matt, and the journey he took to get to the publishing of this, his first published book. Ready to hear more? Let's get started. Podcast, Season 2, Episode 16. Before we get into today's episode, I want to once again thank all of you for listening to this podcast. My mission has been to get people comfortable with themselves, to accept and embrace their mediocre moments, because we all have them, and to catapult themselves forward from meeting from meeting mediocrity to beating mediocrity. I am very grateful and very humbled by the many, many positive comments I've gotten from people. Now, the number of podcast downloads has been increasing every week. It's not like Meet Mediocrity has gone viral or anything, but... We're we've gotten we're getting close to five thousand podcast episode downloads in only nine months of podcasting. So to me, that's incredibly cool. But as I'm counseled by my friends and also by Magnificent Meredith, it's not about the number of downloads, even though I'm very happy with them. What's even cooler is when I get direct messages and emails and actually even a phone call from listeners saying that something I spoke about or something that my guests and I spoke about together inspired them. That is seriously and truly what's most important and is what's what's really inspiring me. So last week's interview, last week's podcast episode was with Terry Hulse. It was really inspirational, and I found that it really encapsulated one of my driving motivations behind the podcast, behind the Meet Mediocrity podcast. By putting yourself out there and not fearing rejection, you, you, we, we all really have an opportunity to move our lives and the lives of others around us forward in a very meaningful way. That is a big part of what Meet Mediocrity is all about. And frankly, that is what this episode is all about. So let me move to today's episode. Today's guest, Matt Pazicki, was introduced to me through an earlier podcast I had this season with my friend Kevin Loretti, the golfer. So Kevin Loretti's sister is Matt's fiance. Follow that? Okay. So Kevin Loretti's sister was listening to 
the podcast episode I had with Kevin and she reached out to me and she said, let me tell you about my fiance, Matt. He's got an amazing story. And after she told me his story, I said, I need to have Matt on the Meet Mediocrity podcast. Here's Matt's story. I'm going to actually tee up the story and then Matt and I will talk about the story, but let me tee it up. Matt loves writing and has always loved writing, <clears throat> but he was afraid, afraid to put himself out there and pursue the publishing of his writing and to pursue writing as a potential career. Now, by putting himself out there and getting past his fear of rejection, Matt has put out his first book on Amazon. It's called Forming the Javelin. I will put all the information about the book in the notes to this podcast. So, now for the details of the story. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Matt Bazicki. So, Matt, thanks for being with me today. Mitch, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, we ran, we ran across each other. We stumbled across each other in a fairly random way, but we had a conversation or two, and... I am really jazzed up to have this conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's going to be fun. Um, you just wrote, you just, I shouldn't say wrote, you just put out your first book. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, I just released on uh, Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing last month my uh, first book entitled uh, Forming the Javelin. And um, we're going to get back into the book in a minute, but... Um, this is a long time coming. Like, did you, um, you know, did you go to school? You were, you didn't go to school for writing. You weren't a writer. You just enjoy writing, right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, looking back at it now, do I wish I had gone to school for writing and got that, uh, that um, support and learned more? Yes, I wish I had, but that's not my path. So your path wasn't that. Um, so what did you go to school for? I know you, I know you went to college, but what was your major in college? My undergraduate major was psychology, Boston College. And what was your what was your rationale for majoring in psychology, knowing that you actually enjoyed writing? Writing I was think, the hobby, psychology was the career? I think, yeah, I, I wanted something to fall back on and it just felt more realistic. And I guess I wasn't ready to take those risks at that time. And so psychology was something I had been good at and I was interested in, but it wasn't my true passion. Right. So that was, so your true passion was writing long before you went to college. Yeah. And even more so storytelling than writing. I love coming up with stories and coming up with adventures and things like that, but you have to use writing to uh, make that come, come to life. Um, well, maybe not. Steven Spielberg used a movie camera to bring that to life. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's scripts for that. So there's some writing involved. There you go. Fair enough. But <laughs> so take me back. When did you realize that that storytelling was something that you loved? How did that actually surface in your life and when? So, you know, my mom will probably get mad about this, but the first time storytelling really came to life was, you know, when I was nine years old, go to church every Sunday. Yep. And for a nine-year-old in church, an hour-long mass, it's hard to pay attention. So I usually start actually, off with, Actually, that's probably true for someone in their 30s, 40s, and 50s as yeah, well. Yeah, it hasn't gone away much for me, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But I do better nowadays than I used to. I'm but. sure. <laughs> when I was, uh, so when I was nine, I would, I would come up with some sort of story. Usually it was about, like, back then, pirates or something in, like, in the Harry Potter universe. But I would start a story. 
I'd kind of go through it the whole mass and then I would just stop. And then next time I went in, I would continue wherever I left off from the previous mass. And so that was kind of how I got through going to church weekly when I was a kid. Um, not for nothing, but I'm sure in many ways your mother was happy that you were sitting there quietly. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I wasn't fidgeting. I was, she probably was like, wow, he's He's what really a good focused. boy. What a good boy. <laughs> Listening to, to what, what the, the um, church is telling you to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. Um, I'm lucky yeah. she didn't quiz me afterwards on the sermons or anything like <laughs> you that. You had no idea, right? I'm like, uh. <laughs> so storytelling and imagination was a big part of your early mindset. When Absolutely. did you actually start? When did you actually put something in writing that wasn't that wasn't a school requirement that's a good question so the first time i put something in writing was um i think it was sophomore year of high school i had this friend we had this friend group and i decided to write an adventure story but each each of the characters was one of our friends and it was very satirical like i would make fun of inside jokes if anyone had embarrassing moments i would kind of embellish them and then kind of like a family guy style just like really razzing on each other and no one would want to read it other than her and me and some of the other friends but right. that was that was uh the first time i wrote something it ended up being like 70 pages come was, on 70 pages yeah so i mean probably skip some of my other assignments for school but that was more fun to me sure. you know you know the average you know the average sophomore in high school gets stressed out when their teacher assigns them a three-page paper so 70 pages is 20 papers worth of writing. <laughs> yeah, three pages comes, I could write that in 10 minutes nowadays. I'm just so used to it. So um, interesting. So you, so do you write, have you written a lot of stories? Have you written a handful of stories? Like before, before you actually got up to putting something on, out on Amazon, yeah, how many stories or books or whatever is, have you written? Right. So I've written lots of different things, but I would say I had three main other things that I wrote. I wrote a, a full story, a full book um, that was probably triple as long as it should have been, like, you know, double the length of Harry Potter. I didn't realize I didn't know about word length back then. So I was like, oh, this this is probably like a normal size book. How long did that take? Oh, I don't know. Probably like four months, but the writing was awful. This was like when I first started. I look back and now it's very choppy. It's very the story's really good. Like I want to redo it at some point, but I wrote that, and then I wrote two screenplays. One is about um, like a group of NFL referees, kind of like an old mob mob style kind of movie where they're fixing games, and the main character has this love of football, and he didn't want to do it, but he had his own gambling addiction and got into debt, and he um, ends up finding himself in the circle he doesn't want to be in, and he's kind of ruined the integrity of the game, and um, he's really struggling that with the, you know, if he doesn't go for it now, he's going to probably get killed, so. Wow. I like that. That that could actually be something. I, I think that could be something. So these screenplays, you wrote them and did you try to get them made into movies or did you stick them in your desk drawer? It's more more of the latter. Yeah. I think I showed my mom. My mom really liked it. And she's like, why don't you pursue it? I'm like, I, I'm a psychology major. I'm senior in college. Like, I don't know how to pursue it. I didn't know like what I could do. And the writing, like the style wasn't right. The writing wasn't as good as it should have been. And it was like, how do you get that in someone's hands? It was much harder with screenplays because, you know, there's so much self-publishing you can do nowadays with Amazon and stuff, but screenplays was, it was difficult. You know, I, I, I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but you, you and I were a little bit our college experiences, at least in terms of what we studied, 
I'm not going to talk about like what we did outside of the classroom. That's a whole <laughs> different conversation. But um, we're very different because I went to college fully expecting that I was going to go pre-med. Um, I readily admit now that it all worked out okay that I basically failed out of my pre-med program after getting a D in organic chemistry and a D in biology. I realized I wasn't going to be a doctor. And my father said to me, you will get a college degree in four years. Case closed. I don't care in what, but you'll get a college degree. So I said, you don't care in what? I majored in English literature. And and what I spent the last two and a half years of my college doing was laying on my bed, reading books, and then getting up to write a paper. Never had to take a test, um, which was like great for me. Um, now, of course, I graduated. It was like, what the hell are you going to do? Exactly. Um, that was a whole, that's a whole different discussion. But you were focused on a career path. So you graduated with a psych degree? Yes. Um, but you're not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. No, I, I graduated with a psych degree and then I decided to go to the social work um, wet route. I started working with people who have disabilities. I found I had the right temperament and I really liked it. And so I ended up pursuing my social work, uh, master's in social work. And so you, you've been working in the social work field for how long? Um, probably for what, seven years now. And I've had my uh, MSW for a little over almost two years now. So that's an incredibly rewarding field. I mean, you get to really help people and have an impact on their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've learned so much from this field. Like, the things I couldn't have learned in high school, the things I couldn't have learned in college, just getting that experience with people with disabilities, people who've been put down and um, haven't always had a fair chance in life. And so that's been really rewarding. And being able to kind of see them has also helped my writing because it's like, I feel like they're not represented a lot. People with mental health issues aren't always represented even in adventure stories or fiction or nonfiction. So I think that I'm trying to bring that a little bit in my new stories and a little bit in the one that I just wrote. Wow. So um, this is great. So Have you told anyone that you work with in in the um, social work industry about your about your writing? I've told a few people. Um, there's a few select people that know that it's my passion, but um, like it's part of that vulnerability thing and part of that um, phase I need to get into in my life is where I'm taking risks and being open and honest and putting myself out there. So as I've just published this book, I'm starting to tell more people, but. I wasn't always open even to them or to people I'm seeing every single day. They had no clue. I was getting home and writing for hours and, you know, doing all this. So talk, so you talk about writing for hours and how does this work? So you have a job, you have mm-hmm. a, you have a real job and you just, just put out your first book. So what, what, what do you, what, when do you find the time to write and how does how does that your normal day look? So when I actually wrote this book, I was actually still in school. Okay. So my normal day was, uh, I was working seven to three at the time. So, you know, get up at six, work seven to three, go straight to internship from three to six, three to seven, get home. And then if I had the energy that night, cause it takes a lot of mental energy to write, yeah. I'd probably write for maybe three hours, four hours. And then um, on the weekends, I would probably write maybe four to five hours. So you weren't watching TV? No. And, and there's been moments in my life where I'd get home and just watch TV and I look back at those now and I'm like, I feel like I was wasting so much time that now I could have been writing. I could have been writing. So, so is there, do you, do you read? Do you like to read? 
I do like to read. And it's funny because it's one of those things where I'll, I like to read, but then also when I'm reading, I'm like, I could be writing right now. And I'm always working on a new project, but I, you have to go back and read because that's how you get better at your writing. So right. in between my la- the book I just published and I'm writing one right now, um, I hadn't written in a while. So I had to go back and read a few books and really go over grammar and things like that before I started um, writing again, because it's, it's, it's not easy, you know, sense of structure and grammar and making things that you see in your mind come to life. So you, you need to read. And that's one of the best ways to get better at writing. Do you have a favorite author? You mentioned Harry Potter. I assume those are the types of books you like, but I don't, I don't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely, I definitely love fantasy, but I'm also a huge Agatha Christie fan. Okay. And her twists are probably what got me into like wanting to write and wanting to um, tell stories in general. Cause I love the good twist. I love that. I'm sure she built some of her books around, oh, I had this awesome twist. Now let me build all these characters around it. Let me think of a whole story, but it probably all started with like that one great twist she had. And so nothing like reading that Agatha Christie book and knowing like you're going to get some sort of um, twist at the end. It's kind of going to either blow your mind or you're trying to figure it out. I love that. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big reader. I'm, I'm a slow reader. I know. Um, I heard, I listened to your Renee podcast. Oh, you did. Yeah. So, so I, I like to read, but I, I read slowly. Um, I don't know why. I think, I think, you know, some people scan and are scanner readers and I'm like an every word reader. Um, so it takes me a little bit longer, but I I always like a good book. Um, so I will definitely, I'm definitely going to read your book, which I haven't done yet, but why don't you tell us a little bit about the book that you just put out on Amazon? Okay, absolutely. So um, it takes place in a world filled with pirates and magical ships and adventure, kind of some of that stuff I was daydreaming about in church, you know, many years ago, but that just, that's not the story that just drives the story. What the story is really about is this boy who loses his parents to a shipwreck when he's six years old, and he spends the next nine years training to join the fleet that they belong to. And so the earliest chapters are her getting ready, uh, him getting ready to join their old plan, but when he turns old enough, he's rejected along with some of his peers. And it's clear that they've been turned away because of their perceived character flaws or their disabilities. And he feels like his dream has been stripped away from him. And this is where I could really relate to my character because I've had this dream of writing for the longest time now. And uh, you know, whether I'm not getting recognized, I'm not getting published, I'm getting rejected by query agents. I feel like my dream was kind of stripped away and this is where he's at. And so he has kind of a choice. Do I give up on this dream and live this mundane life? Or do I try to make my own dream and actualize it in a different way? And so that's what he chooses to do. He chooses to form his own fleet. He rounds up the other ones who are rejected. They call themselves the misfits. They decide to start their own fleet. But the first thing they need to do is steal a ship. And they end up doing this. But uh, once they steal the ship, the main character realizes it's the ship his parents disappeared on. The one that he he was uh, told never returned. Right. And so he realizes, okay, I've been lied to my whole life, but now I've just formed this, you know, this new group. I formed this fleet. Like I'm in charge of them. I, I kind of want to just go find out answers about my parents now, see if they're alive. But he can't do that because they've stolen a ship. There's people um, searching for their, you know, they want to get the ship back or looking for their heads. And so he's kind of got that internal struggle. Do I do what's best for me or do I do what's best for the people around me? And so it takes in that, you know, we're misfits, we're uh, overlooked. And they kind of come together. And that's kind of where I'll leave you at with yeah. a summary of the story. What's, uh, yeah, well, first of all, we I think we all have that conflict all the time. Do I do what's best for me or do I do what's best for others? Um, so it's going to sound like it's a relatable hero 
in your mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Um, who? Tell me a little bit about your target audience. Who do you think? Who do you think are your your most prominent reading group? So I would definitely say it's intended for maybe twelve to eighteen year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who likes adventure, but anyone who likes um, a moral character that kind of, and then anyone who wants to see like themselves represented, like I said, they're kind of misfits, people who are underestimated, people that felt like they can't follow their dream mm-hmm. or feel like, you know, they kind of have to live this mundane life that they don't want to live. I feel like it gives them that, that, that chance at adventure. So that's what it's aimed at. So you published this book uh, yourself, right? You put it out on Amazon um, yourself. How, how, how does that work? And, and tell, tell me a little bit um, because some people self-publish some people go through publishing houses i don't even know if publishing houses are as big a thing as they used to be with e-readers and, and so many different avenues so tell me a little bit about the path you looked to do and the path you took so when i felt like it was ready and you know a writer never feels like it's ready it's like That's oh right. i could change this I could change that. i'm That's even right. reading it now i'm like Right. Oh, I could go in and change that, re-upload it. I'm like, no, no. I went over that so many times. So once I felt it was ready, the hardest part is you kind of have to condense it. And if you want to get a publisher, you have to make like a one-page pitch. And it's right. not easy. You have all these plot twists. You have all these characters. You can't put them all in there. So I did my best to make that pitch. And I sent it to some literary agents. Um, I did this. I was just getting a new job. I was doing this. I didn't go for it as much as I could. I should have sent out more. I could have done more. But once I, you know, felt like I had put enough in, I didn't get any feedback. I wasn't able to get anyone to, you know, want to publish it. I started looking for the self-publishing route because I said, this is what I want to do in the future. I need to put myself out there for criticism. I can't just keep sending it to my mom and my friends and being like, you know, they like it and they really encourage me to go for it, but it's time to put yourself out there. So Amazon is great. Um, it's, called, it's called Kindle Direct Publishing. Okay. And they take like a 30% fee. It's a little different depending on there's, they have different contracts, whether you want to make it a certain price or you want to, um, if you have the rights to it, fiction versus nonfiction. But I set the price right now for very simple $3.99. Okay. I would, I get 70% of that if someone buys it. And if you have a um, Kindle Unlimited membership, you can um, read it for free. Great. Did you, um, did you sell any copies yet? Yeah, I mean, I'm somewhere in the 30 to 40s, but I'm, I don't know how many people have actually bought it that I don't know yet. And that's good. <laughs> you know, it's even I don't, like a, I, I don't know how many people listen to my podcast that I don't know either. <laughs> right, right. That's, it's one thing to get, you know, um, that feedback from people you know, and that would never be like brutally honest with you. It's another to get it from like, you know, someone who has no relationship with you. So I'm so excited for the, uh, some people that have, you know, very loosely tied to me to read it and put the reviews on and, and help me grow as a writer. Well, um, I would say, you know, listen, writing books and doing a, a weekly podcast are two different things, but I can tell you, I've been at this podcast for nine months now, almost nine months. And the, the listenership keeps growing. I, I do have lots of re- listeners who I don't know. I know that for a fact. Um, but you know, I, I think consistency and, you know, just, you know, you keep putting stuff out there and actually you'll get better and better at it. Um, yeah. I think my podcasts now are better than the first ones I did. In fact, I know they are. Yeah. And um, your, your readership, like my listenership, I, th- I think will grow. I don't know how fast it will grow. I don't know that you'll be a best-selling author. I don't know that I'll be a, a, a top 
podcaster, but it will grow, especially if you stick with it. Um, at least that's my theory. I, you know, I really admire that because when you're starting off, like you're putting yourself out there, you made this podcast mm-hmm. and you know, it's, you know, for the first few weeks or even months, there's only going to be a few viewers because it takes time for that's people right. to grow. And so you're putting yourself out there and it's like, oh, I did this. And it's like, okay, I'm, you know, I got 10 listeners. Or I got 10 people reading. And, it's I know like, one, and I know one of them is my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So it's like, it takes a willpower to say, you know what? That's going to grow. That 10 will turn into 12, will turn into 15. If you really love it, which it seems like you do, that's awesome that you're, that you've, you know, developed it and you kept going and, and you have like, you know, the successful podcast. Now it's going to keep getting bigger and better. Well, I'm sure you get this on, you'll get this on Amazon, or I'm sure you do get this on Amazon, but I do have it with my podcast um, platform because when you do a podcast, there's a, a platform for publishing it, and then you could direct it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can yep. direct it to your website, I've done all of those, um, but the platform that produces it and, and, and distributes it gives you analytics and the nice part about about the analytics is you see it goes up every week every week i get more and more and more and more listeners and um it's really cool and i think you'll probably see that with your book although i would think that eventually a single book will go up and up, well, and up and then it will plateau. plateau yeah but um that means it's time to put out another book well that's why i'm writing right now <laughs> currently in the process about halfway through another book so is it so is it the same genre is it the same audience or is it something different it's slightly different. It's not the same. It's not a, um, the other one will have a sequel, but I'm writing something different right now just to try to get myself more well-balanced. And yep. it's, um, it's more of a real, it's kind of takes place on earth, except the story is from the point of view of a psychic. Mm-hmm. She finds out she has these powers and she's, um, she ends up going to a school for it. And the main kind of idea is that these psychics, the number one rule is you can help people, but you don't let anyone know that you actually have powers because, you know, they'll turn on us. They'll want to, you know, they'll want to experiment though. You know, we can't do that. So she's struggling. Cause she's like, no, I'd rather help people. I don't care if anyone knows I have powers. So she kind of turns against them. And that's kind of the, uh, the, the main plot of the story right now. But. Okay. So we're going to, what, what do you, what's your approximate timing on that? Oh, between I'm, I'm in the first draft. That'll probably be like, maybe, maybe next summer I'll be finished with, you know, okay. finish, finish, but so, so you talked about first draft. So when you're publishing your own book, do you have, you, you do your own editing, you do your own like detailed copy editing, like, you know, what do you have to do to get, get a draft ready to actually be a published book, even if it's self-published? So, um, like I said, I didn't go to school for writing and I felt like, you know, I had a draft that was really good, but I wanted some feedback. And so there's a way to get feedback and that's through editing. Mm-hmm. And I did, I found a website called Readsy, R-E-E-E-S-Y, and you can kind of um, look at people's work and there's editors there that are willing to edit your work. You know, it costs money, but they're willing to do it. And so I went through an editor. She was great. Her name was Fiona McLaren. And um, she edited the work. She did a fantastic job, but I also learned so much through that process. And I feel like I'm a better, um, much better writer now because of some of the things that she pointed out and some of the re-edits that I had to do afterwards just to get it, um, you know, more succinct and clearer. And that really helped me a lot. So the editing that she gave you wasn't simply, you need a comma here, you missed a, uh, a capital letter here. She gave you feedback on flow and level of Right, content. yeah, because I, I mean, I, I feel like there was very few like commas out of place and missed, you know, it was more for like, um, this 
scenes, not from the narrator's point of view. You can't know that person's emotion right there because you're doing a first person or you're doing a third person mm-hmm. narrative style. Right. It's like things like I, you know, I never thought about really before because I had never, you know, gone to school for it or anything. So are is is i mean you don't necessarily need a degree at this point but is school or classes or some sort of formal training um in your plans or are you going to learn learn on the job that'll depend on how things go with the book i just published and the one that I'd, um i'm writing right now and so if i'm able to get success but like not as much as i want or not like making it so i can make it a career I'm not going to give up. So that's where I'm like, all right, what else can I do? What are those things I can do to enhance myself? Whether it's because, you know, you can become, some people write their first book and become famous at 40. So of course I have 10 years to get better at writing. So if I want to take a, if I feel like I'm not there yet, or I wasn't successful enough, I will try to pursue more of those things until I, until I get or, you know, give up. But I don't think, I don't see that happening. So, so at the moment, writing is your side hustle. But right. One day it could be your main hustle. That's what the dream is. Perfect. Um, so in addition to writing, I understand you're a prolific poker player. Prolific. Yeah, I, I would say I'm a step below prolific, but I am a winning poker player and it is one of my biggest hobbies. Yes. Okay. So I guess it's all a matter of adjectives because <laughs> plays poker for money and wins to me is prolific. <laughs> so um like so it's funny because I would imagine someone who's a writer is someone who's very kind of creative minded, what I would call very right brained, right? Very right brained. Absolutely. Poker is seems to be more of a left brained activity, unless I guess you could talk about kind of reading the player across the table. But tell me, a, now you're even more fascinating to me because you've got kind of both sides of your brain working here. Tell me a little bit about how you got into poker and how and how that challenges you. Yeah, so poker, you are right that it is more a little bit the left side because there's a lot of math involved. There's a lot of right. logic involved. But something that kind of connects the writing and the poker is that thinking about other people's perspectives. You know, when you're writing, there's so many different characters. And your natural thought is, how would I react in that spot? So no, no, how would the character that you're trying to portray react in that spot? And in poker, it's not what I would do with, you know, the hand that they have or the way they're betting. What are they doing? So does this person seem like a, a nervous person? Nervous person is not going to put all their money in on a bluff. So it's you're, you're constantly thinking, and based on things they've done earlier, you kind of get a feel of what they're like. Mm-hmm. So, so there is, so there is some, uh, what I would call right-brained aspects of poker, even though you're also having to calculate odds and whatnot. Yeah. So like you could, you could be a winning player without that. Cause there's so much math involved. You could just be a pure logic. Like these are the numbers, the other odds, and you could be a winning player, but the best players I feel like are able to read other people and understand what's going on in other people's minds. So we've got COVID right now. I would imagine Poker, poker is not really a sanctioned activity between everyone giving each other germs on cards and not being six feet away. So how are you keeping your poker game sharp? Um, so, yeah. So in March, you know, I, had, I used to go once a week and then in March, the COVID hit and I did end up, I actually got COVID in March and, um, and you're doing well. I'm doing great. Yeah. Thank it was goodness. really rough during the middle of it, but doing great now. No, no long-term effects. Good. But I did switch to online because, you know, I don't want to risk getting 
other people infected or getting anything. So, and most people aren't going and a lot of the casinos have closed down. So I switched to online, which is definitely different. It's way more just like you said, the left side, just the math and the right. uh, spots. Cause you can't really get not as much really. fun. I would imagine, but better than no, nothing. it's better than nothing, but you are just sitting in a chair and not talking to anyone for maybe some tournaments can go Probably the longest one I played was about 12 hours. So you're, you're sitting there, you're trying to stay mentally focused because one mistake, you lose the tournament. So you have to be, you have to have a mental energy about you. Right. So, um, I assume that, that, um, the online, the online poker thing could, because you don't get to see your audience has got to be a little bit more challenging. Are you still a winning poker player online? Yeah, actually, um, I was actually doing better online for a while because I switched to tournaments. So um, tournaments is basically, you know, um, large, large field could start off with 2000 people and then maybe like the top 200 make money and the top like one person gets like a large, large amount. And so I I came in second place in a tournament that had like 2000 people. Wow. And um, did really well there. So I've been doing well, but um, with poker, it's not like just so easy. You don't winning poker players don't just get people just think they get to the table they play and they win you have to do a lot of research and you have to uh like um do a lot of studying to get better at it or else you're just going to lose money so poker sounds great it's a good distraction especially especially you know with all with all the writing and the social work you actually have chosen quite quite a number of mentally taxing activities between social work, writing, and poker. The, the, these, are, these are all brain activities. <laughs> you, probably, you probably sleep well at night. Sometimes I sleep well, but other times, like you're, because your mind is on so long for such a long period of time, it's really hard to shut it off. Uh-huh. And you, you, you could ask my fiance, um, after all, a long writing session or a long poker section, It'll t- she'll have to maybe repeat something to me three different times because your mind is still like like uh, delayed, just still thinking about past things or like foggy or exhausted. So, so I'm going to give you a, a minute to think about uh, think about your final comments to the listeners, and and I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say something to tee you up. You know, there have been a number of episodes that I've had with people who've gone through this dilemma of you know, doing what I love and making a living at something that I know will bring in a steady paycheck. And there are people who are completely happy leaving their their um, hobby as their hobby and their job as their money-making thing. There are other people who are, are striving and desperate and some are successful at making their 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 hobby, their job, and the money making thing, if it doesn't get them jazzed up, you know, it's not it's it's not worth doing. And we've had all we've had we've had both sides of that equation represented on the podcast. Um, and frankly, there's no right and wrong answer. But I want you to tell me a little bit, kind of as a final thought, you know, what's 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 next for Matt over the next five years? Um, kind of your best case scenario and and maybe your your backup scenario. Okay, absolutely. And that's a great question. Absolutely a great question. Um, so let me say this. When I was in my first year of MSW program, 
I was working, you know, seven to three, like I said, interning, going to school, seeing my friends. I was, I even was going on trips. I was hanging out with a lot of people. And so I was living a good life. You know, I was doing a lot of things, but I, looking back on it, I never had that sense of fulfillment. I never had that sense that I was doing, I was going for what my true dream was in life. And I was kind of pushing it aside. I was, you know, I wasn't writing, I was watching TV, I was doing other things. And like in the back of my head, like, oh, that's what I want to do in the future. But I wasn't going for it. And looking back, like, it's when it's your dream, it's what you want to do. You can't do that. And so I, you know, if anyone, you're always talking about mental positivity and wellness. And I know I, when you talk to people who are in their, you know, 70s, 80s, when they're looking back at life, they're never regretting the things that they did and the things, you know, that they went for and tried for. And I, that's my biggest fear is looking back. I'm like, wow, I never pursued it. I never, you know, gave it my all. I was too afraid of the vulnerability. I was too afraid of getting rejected. And I never like gave it my all. And to me, like waking up in the morning and writing for a, for a living, spending my free time writing and being able to, um, that's what I do to make a living, spend 40 hours, 60 hours a week on it. That's a dream. Cause that wouldn't be work to me. That would be something I'd put a lot of effort into, but it wouldn't be something that like, you know, takes away from you, drains you, stresses you out. Cause it's something that makes me really happy and it makes me really fulfilled. So that's what I'm going to be going for. I know I can't do it right now because I do have other responsibilities. I can't just quit my job and right. try it full time, but I'm going to use all my spare time to try to make that my full time. And for those people that maybe have a passion in life and that they're in that spot where they're kind of ignoring it or not, making it part of the life because they have all these other responsibilities, I challenge you to, you know, make, make a list, make a goal, make all the small steps it's going to take to achieve that goal. And over the next few weeks, few months, just do the first thing on the list. Cause you'll feel really good. Like you have that dream style and you're, you're going for it. You're trying for it. And so I don't know where I'm going to go with this. I don't know if I'm going to be a full-time writer successfully, but I I'm still at that point where I'm trying my hardest to make it happen. And I'm not going to let those fears and risks weigh me down anymore. Well, you know what? That's that. That sounds to me like a no regrets strategy, and I like a no regret strategy. At the end of the day, to me, what you just said that is incredibly powerful is you don't want to live your life having regrets. Mm-hmm. And I would rather try and if if, if it's something you really want, I would rather right. try and fail than not have tried at all. And that's absolutely like exactly what you're doing, Matt. Yes. It- it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always easy to get there, but I'm I'm there now, and I'm I'm not going to live with any regrets. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I wish you much success, um, Matt. I'm going to put a link to your book in the um, description of this podcast, so people can read it. They can re- refer it. Um, Three ninety nine. It's a bargain, <laughs> and um, you could read um, Matt Pazicki's very first book, and that's a big deal. Thank you so much, Mitch. And it's been an honor to be on your podcast and get to talk to you. And I, I, I love what you're doing here. I love what you're trying to get people to do. And uh, I'm honored to be someone that you had on. Perfect. All right. Well, take care, Matt. Thank you so much, Mitch. Have a great night. I really didn't do this intentionally, but I feel like the last two episodes of this podcast dovetail nicely together. Last week, Terry Hulse and I discussed that you can be the hero in your own story by overcoming your fears. Often, often those fears are the fear of rejection. Overcome them and put yourself out there. 
by putting yourself out there, you can change your life for the better. It seems to me that Matt Pizicki has done just that. He loves writing, yet all of his books and all of his screenplays, he kept them to himself. He kept them in a desk drawer, a computer drive. Maybe he shared them with a few select friends. And he wanted, he in his heart would have loved to take a chance on a career in writing, but he took the safe path. He ended up going into social work. Now, don't get me wrong. Matt has enjoyed a fulfilling career in social work, meeting interesting people, helping them in meaningful ways. But now, by putting himself out there, Matt has published his first book, releasing it for sale on Amazon. And he's doing super cool things, like appearing on the popular podcast, like Meet Mediocrity. But more importantly, He's also working on his next book, and I'm hoping many more to come. So as the wrap-up, let me once again thank you, thank all of you, for being part of the Meet Mediocrity community. If you like the podcast, please continue to tell your friends about it, and also look for my posts on Facebook and Instagram. Until next week, please continue to stay safe and healthy, keep smiling, and be well. Take care, everyone.